Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. In this podcast, we'll be having discussions around the secrets which attract lasting, healthy, fulfilling relationships, creating a healthy mindset, and what women should know and understand about men. Introducing your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts, relationship expert, trainer, speaker, and best-selling author of The Cupid's Bow Technique. Lynn's mission is to have a positive impact in reducing divorce, domestic violence, and suicide. Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. This is your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts. And today, listeners, I've got a lovely guest. His name is Jason Galvez, and he's commonly known by Mr. J. So, Jason, very warm welcome to you on our podcast today. Thank you so very much. I appreciate that. And I invited Jason because his specialization is around betrayal and trauma. And I thought it was quite unique today to have guys actually on the show specializing in that particular area. So the first thing I'd like to ask you, Jason, is is what actually got you involved in this particular specialist area? All right. So um, actually, you first mentioned betrayal and trauma. And although that is correct, and I do both, it's actually betrayal trauma uh, that I that I specialize in, which I will get on in a minute. But um, so uh, I started coaching um, decades ago before coaching became cool, you know what it is now. Um, cause nowadays everybody's a coach of something, but I started coaching, um, decades ago with my bachelor's degree in psychology. Um, I was on, uh, I'm very active in our church. So I was on, um, like the premarital counseling and counseling board, and I would help counsel, uh, couples that were you know, about to get married or having marital issues. And I took that on the outside world as well. Um, and, um, and after a few years of that, I, uh, stayed home with, with my kids and, um, then I lost a dad very quickly. I, um, was talking to my dad one day and literally seven days later I was burying him. And that came so quickly and tragically that it brought up a tremendous amount of childhood trauma that I never dealt with. Wow. And so. Yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that, Jason. That that's a very tragic event. Yeah, yeah, it it, it was um, in in many ways. Um, and so, thank you for acknowledging that. So, anyway, um, uh, like for instance, I'll give you an example. Uh, when I was six years old, we had a house fire. Now, when I mean house fire, I mean we left our house on a Friday, and when we pulled into our driveway on Sunday afternoon, the only thing there was a chimney everything was gone in the house. So that's what I mean by house fire. Um, Our family heirlooms, our first haircuts, our toys, our clothes, you name it. Um, And so anyways, after, because we hold trauma in the body. Now I was six years old when, when our house burned down. Well, a couple of days after my father died, I woke up in the middle of the night and I smelled flames. There was no fire going on. Just my trauma inside my body was recalling the trauma when I was six years old. Wow. And That's yeah, incredible. And I can honestly relate to having similar sort of type of experiences. So I do honestly believe that we do hold those traumas in the body. And like you say, that that can be um, maintained in our senses, like you had that sensory experience of smelling that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Keeping in mind our sense of smell, the olfactory gland has the longest memory um, in general out of all of our senses. So um so anyway, I, uh, I started to do some deep work on um, trauma 
And long story short, it led me to a membership community um, where I joined. And once the um, CEO found out that I had a past in um, coaching, she uh, asked if I would join her program to help others with betrayal trauma. So I took her certification course and I got certified as a betrayal trauma practitioner. And um, ever since then have been specializing um, with helping people move through the stages and phases and steps um, with healing tips and techniques on betrayal trauma, because we all experience trauma to some degree, the little T, the big T, we all experience betrayal, the little B, the big B, but the, the difference between um, trauma and betrayal and betrayal trauma is a world of difference that a lot, a lot of people don't understand. For example, uh, betrayal trauma is a secret society. So for instance, let's just say you lose a parent, okay? That's traumatic. That's very traumatic. But as a society, we, we tell our jobs, listen, I need some bereavement time. And what does our job do? Our job gives us three, four days, maybe a week off. Maybe they'll send us some flowers. All of our coworkers call us. When we go through betrayal, especially with a spouse, there's a whole stigma involved. We don't want to call our boss and say, listen, my, I just caught my spouse doing A, B, and C. Um, I, I need some time off. We don't usually, there's no such thing as broken trust time. And if you do request this time off, usually they want to know, well, why do you need a week off? Then if you happen to, this is what I'm saying. Now there's a lot of stigma and stereotypes along with this. Not to mention, if you do have a spousal betrayal and you decide you want to rebuild and work on it, there's stigmas and stereotypes with that. Like, what are you so weak? You want to, you know, rebuild with somebody who did this to you and blah, blah. blah. So it's its own secret society. So, so there's, there's a lot of deep, and I say all the time, betrayal trauma hits us at our deepest insecurities. And it's very sad because not only now are we trying to work on our deepest insecurities, we're often working on them alone because we don't want to tell people that we were just betrayed. Um, so, you know, there's, so there's, there's a whole nother world to betrayal trauma. I always say that the definition of trauma, one of the best definitions of trauma that I've come across is um, life altering powerlessness. When we are betrayed, we are stripped of our empowerment of our choices which is why i say one of the biggest key things to do to move past betrayal is to immediately empower ourselves give us back what was stolen which is the um the empowerment of choice the power of choice i can keep going but i don't want to you know <laughs> dominate this whole thing <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting because it's often you know a subject that discussed quite regularly on this podcast and everybody's got a different viewpoint and um you know the thing is that there's only one mr j you know and your viewpoint is so different and uh, diverse and and um i suppose compassionate in a different way to other people so although it's a topic that's discussed quite a lot on the podcast and that i can specifically relate to myself it's in very interesting for me to hear you speak about it in the way that you speak about it it's specifically you know, defining the difference between betrayal trauma and betrayal trauma. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll tell you something for people that um, are asking, well, what exactly is betrayal trauma? Let me just give you this scenario that I often, that I often give. Imagine you're on a bridge two miles above land and this bridge is very, very uh, thin 
and you're on that bridge and you're holding two of your babies in each of your arms. So you got one baby in one arm, the other baby in the, in the other arm. And you are, you are walking across that bridge because under you is a volcano and fire and lava. So if you fall off that bridge, it's imminent death. So you're walking across that bridge, holding your two babies in each arm, right? You got one baby in this arm, one baby. And who's leading the way is the person you trust the most in life. So as you're walking across that bridge, smoke sometimes is so heavy that you you often have to put your arm on the shoulder of the person in front of you, the one you trust the most, just to guide the way, because you can't even see. Yes. Before you know it, the bridge collapses and you're falling. You're falling into this fire. You're falling into this volcano and you have your babies in your arms. You are in survival mode. Your brain is hijacked. You are afraid. You are fearful. You don't know what to believe. What, what You don't know what's going on in your future. You want to save these babies. You want to save yourself. You're trying to grab onto anything that while you're falling, while you're trying to hold onto your babies and you look up and you see the person you trusted the most has a hammer in their hand. They're the ones that made the bridge collapse. Wow. <laughs> That's betrayal trauma. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for giving that as a example. So in real life, in terms of what is the most frequent that you hear around betrayal trauma, because obviously that is um, not likely to happen in that way, specifically for most people. What's the most common story that you hear? Oh, uh, my gosh. Um, you know, it, it's anything from I was going through. Well, first of all, let me just say this before I answer your question, if you don't mind. Betrayal trauma can come from anyone, really anyone, um, but but it hits the hardest when it's a primary attachment. Yes. So um, and also depending on the amount of dependence you have upon that attachment. So, for instance, um, it could be a parent. It could be a boss. It could be a child. It could be your significant other. And actually, actually, you could get it from yourself. I can't tell you how many times I hear from these people that say, uh, I exercised and I meditated and I prayed and I ate all the right things. And I was still diagnosed with breast cancer. So they feel as if their body betrayed them or maybe God betrayed them. So betrayal trauma can come really with anyone. But let's just talk primarily speaking from, say, um, um, uh, a partner betrayal. A lot of the times I get, um, I was in my car and I found lip gloss in my glove compartment and it wasn't mine. Or I was fixing my bed and I found a, um, a, a notebook full of numbers and I didn't know whose numbers they were. Or um, I was going through so-and-so's phone and, you know, I found some pictures, sexting pictures or, you know, so, so it could really come at any point, but I'll tell you something. Uh, Dealing with betrayal trauma uh, is, is, is some of the worst pain because like I said before, it hits all of our worst insecurities. If you have insecurities from your childhood, let's just say of your looks, betrayal is going to hit you at your core insecurity of looks. And it's more going to deepen that inferiority you feel over your looks. If you have an insecurity in your childhood of abandonment or neglect, then if you go through betrayal trauma, it's gonna hit that more core and you're really gonna say, wow, nobody loves me, everybody leaves me, everybody neglects me. So it hits us at our core insecurities. That's what betrayal does. Because think about it, the person that we loved and trusted the most used the best of us against us. 
Yeah, and I think it's so sad today. I don't know what your thoughts are, Jason, or that we see a lot of young people changing their looks so drastically. I mean, okay, you know, I'm not somebody that wears makeup or that even feels comfortable wearing makeup, to be honest. But, um, you know, I, I have used it in the past to enhance how I look. But I see so many young people today actually physically changing their face so to such a degree, you know, with uh, Botox or uh, fillers and, and even filtering themselves on, on their phones to make themselves look so different, even with makeup, you know, heavily changed, um, that they don't even look anything like who they really are. Yeah. And you know what the interesting thing with all that is? Lynn, is this, when people do that, especially after betrayal, all you're doing is putting a bandaid on cancer and get this, it's not even the cancer that you have. Let me explain. When a partner betrays, it has nothing to do with the other partner. It has everything to do that the person who betrayed is trying to numb, distract, or avoid something that is within them. Now, do I hear a lot of partners say, you know, I was just talking to somebody the other day, a uh, male, female couple. And the wife said, you know, when I told my husband, I can't believe you would cheat on me. I can't believe this. And he told me, well, you gained a lot of weight and you haven't been cleaning the house and you've been short with our kids. And my heart just broke Aww. because none of them in any capacity um, is the reason he cheated at all, but he wanted to alleviate his own guilt and not put the, the light on him and put the light on her. When somebody steps out of a marriage, it has nothing, nothing to do with the marriage itself. It has everything to do with the person who cheated. And that's what I want people to know is that it has, no, I don't care if you're 600 pounds with one tooth and you're, <laughs> and you're, and you're screaming every day. Those are marital problems. Once you take your situation out of the marriage, that's no longer a marital issue. That's a self-issue. Absolutely, 100% agree. So the first thing to do if you feel like you've been in a situation of um, betrayal trauma is not to blame yourself. Not to blame yourself. Now, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to give you a few. Uh, I can certainly give some tips and techniques and hacks to move forward. But I will say this. Uh, I'm going to help some people prevent getting into this situation. And the number one thing is boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. We have to not only know our boundaries, we have to enforce our boundaries. And I just don't mean with our body. I mean, emotionally, spiritually, time-wise, we got to have boundaries in every area. And you know, the person that disrespects and jeopardizes and invalidates our boundaries the most is ourselves. I was talking to this lady the other day and she said, Mr. J, uh, I'm on a dating site and I always ask the person who's going to take me on a date just to meet me at the restaurant. That's my, that's my boundary. He's got to meet me at the restaurant. But I met this guy and he lived quite a distance away and he was leaving late at night and I just felt bad. So I said, well, listen, you're driving so far. Why don't you just come meet me at my house and then we'll drive to the restaurant together, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she said, but he just would not take no for an answer. At the end of the day, he kept trying to kiss me. And, and, and she said, I kept saying, no, I don't do that on the first day. I don't. And, and, and he kept trying to violate my boundaries. And I said, listen, with all due respect, you might not like me when I say this, but you told him it's okay to blur boundaries. 
You told you told him it was acceptable by blurring your own boundaries initially. You, you have a rule that you don't have people meet you at your house, but you blurred your own boundary. We teach people how to treat us. We have to not only know our own boundaries, we have to enforce our own boundaries at all costs because we treat, teach people how to treat us. I absolutely 100% agree again. The, the amount of women I get, you know, that sort of relay those similar stories and they don't understand sometimes until you've explained it in various different ways, how they've actually, like you say, blurred their own boundaries and give a conflicting message to that other person. Absolutely. Now, listen, let me be very, very, very forward and frank and honest. I am not saying, uh, uh, oh, it's because of the closure war you were raped. Like, I'm not that kind of person. No. Nobody ever has any reason ever to... to to violate anyone in any, I don't care what you're doing, what you're wearing, what you say, whatever. Um, and I make it very clear and I hate to be vulgar, but you know, I, I talk a lot about consent and I tell a lot of males and females, no means no, I'm good means I'm good. I don't care if you're two minutes away from finishing, stop means stop, period, end of discussion. But at the same token, you gotta have boundaries and enforce your boundaries. Another thing too that I tell people all the time is you gotta really, 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 really be in tune with and listen to your intuition. I can't tell you how many times after somebody gets the news of betrayal where afterwards they're like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. I did feel something at one point. Why didn't I ask about it? I did see something at one point. Why didn't I inquire about that? I don't know if you're familiar with betrayal blindness, but betrayal blindness is a part of our um, freeze, fight, flight, or freeze uh, system. It's a part of our nervous system. And basically what happens is when we're in a relationship, this is just an example. When we're in a relationship, let's just say that we see something that just doesn't jibe we, something's a little off, yes. but our, but our body goes into the freeze mode because, and the reason it does that is because if we were to question or inquire what it is we see or feel, the outcome of that could be devastating, such as, you know, let's just say we're going through the car and we see a phone number. Something doesn't sit well in our gut, but we just decided to crumple it up and throw it away. Why? Because a part of our body knows if we question that number, it could lead to divorce. It could lead to seeing our kids every other weekend. It could lead to financially stripping us of A, B, and Z. So instead of all that big chaos, we just ignore our gut intuition. So in all actuality, betrayal blindness is a mechanism to help us. However, in the long term, it hurts us because, Lynn, after we discover the betrayal, now we're not only fighting all of the pain of the betrayal, we're also questioning ourselves, how could I be so stupid? Why was I so stupid and I allowed A, B, and C? Absolutely. They, there's so many people that you speak to in our industry that, that sort of put their hands up and say, actually, in hindsight, there were red flags when you asked them about it, and but they chose to ignore those red flags or paper over it temporarily thinking that things would improve um but like you say there's that is there is that definite betrayal blindness but i've never heard it put in that those terms before yeah well i also call betrayal blindness the red riding hood syndrome it's like red riding hood when she went to go visit her grandmother she wanted to see her grandmother so desperately so badly so badly she wanted to visit her grandmother to the point where she said grandma you have like some beady eyes what's up be, grandma, you have sharp teeth. 
Red Riding Hood knew something was up, <laughs> but she chose to ignore her intuition and look what happened. She died. She got eaten to death. And that's the same thing with us is that we know something's going on. We know something's a little off, but we're so desperate to hold on to our relationship. We're so desperate to hold on to that validation. We're so desperate to try to show everybody, oh, this is working out. I'm still with the same person, regardless of what happens behind closed doors. But like I said, what happens afterwards is now we're not only fighting the demons of the betrayal, but also we're fighting our own narrative. How could I be so stupid? You know, whatever, which is why uh, not to jump around. Uh, I, I tell people all the time, be very, very careful after betrayal of your narrative, because here's what we do. We narrate and then we ruminate and then we marinate. And then when we marinate, that's when the neural uh, pathways in our brain really get dug out to that belief system. So for instance, let's just say you just find out your spouse is cheating and it's like, oh my God, it's because I gained weight and I'm so ugly. Well, that's, that's, the di that's your inner dialogue. Well, then what happens is as you go on throughout the day, it's like, I wish I wasn't so ugly. My spouse would still be with me. I wish I didn't gain so much weight. I wish I would. You're ruminating in that. Then what happens is you start living in that belief system and that belief system becomes a part of who you are. So you got to be very careful to address the narration on its on its face immediately before it gets into rumination or marination, because now you've got a bigger problem to deal with. Yeah, I, I call that, you know, uh, more or less a spouse fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, like I said, one of the, the things that's important to do after betrayal is to give yourself um, the power of choice. Because think about it, your choice was taken from you. If it was up to you, would you have made the choice to get betrayed? No. If it was up to you, would you have made the choice to get so much time stolen from you? No. If you made the choice, would you have gotten the STD that many do from their person betraying? No. All of your choices were robbed from you. So afterwards, you got to give yourself the choice. And what does that mean? That means the choice of everything, Lynn. I don't care if that means you're telling yourself, okay, I'm going to go today at the store at two o'clock to buy bread because I got to feed my kids. That's giving yourself a choice. Now, some people listening might say, well, if you have kids, you don't have a choice. You got to go buy bread. No, 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 no. You could have bought bread yesterday. You could buy bread at seven o'clock. You're choosing to buy bread at two o'clock. You got to give yourself the power of choice. You got to give yourself back what was robbed. That's one of the first things I would say. Another th thing is grounding. You got to ground yourself. So many times, especially with emotional flooding or triggers, so many times after betrayal, you could be doing the dishes in the shower. Next thing you know, you are bawling or you fall to your knees because triggers will hit you like a wrecking ball. What you got to do is you got to sometimes even verbally say, you know what? I am safe right now. There's not a hungry tiger in the room looking at me growling. I'm safe right now. So you got to ground yourself. And there's a lot of grounding techniques from, you know, tapping to, you know, different affirmations and things like that. But, um, but certainly, you know, uh, like I said, emotion, the, the pain of betrayal, studies have found that it's just as hurtful, if not more than the pain of um, any physical ailment. If you break your legs, um, uh, that pain, that pain is hurtful, but studies show that 10 years after your legs were broke, you still feel the pain of betrayal over the physical pain of your legs being broke. So betrayal pain is, is some of the most, and cause like I said, it goes to your deepest insecurities. And usually those insecurities are things that we haven't worked out. 
um, in our childhood. So it, it's just very complex. It's multi-layered. Mm. Um, and it could really jade somebody for life. It could, it could really put up those walls and jade somebody for life. But, you know, one of the things I tell people, because I talk to people that are 20, 30 years out of betrayal and they're still stuck. And I say, listen, I understand your walls are a defense mechanism. I get that. Lord knows I get that. But here's the deal. If Gordon Ramsay were to get burnt by a stove, what if he said, that's it. I got burnt. I'm hurt. I'm never going to cook again. He'd never experienced those amazing meals, those amazing dishes. And I think you, people that are hurt and they decide to shut down, that's their choice. And I respect everybody's choice if that's what they want to do. But are they really thriving in life? Are they really allowing themselves to experience all the wonder of connection and true love and intimacy that potentially they could find by continuously having that wall up? So, um, so it's pretty complex. Yeah, I understand because I, I went through that myself. You know, I literally went through a phase of definitely having my heart close off and very being very guarded, and um, you know. Um, realized um you know i was in a 23-year marriage which was a good marriage but my heart was very closed due to past um trauma and i was really um not aware of that you know that i was contributing to not experiencing the the real passion and fulfillment that that, that can come from the next level of relationship to what i've got then um and uh, it took me you know as i say quite a lot of research and learning and letting go of stuff to to actually get to the stage where you know what I'm going to open my heart now and uh, I'm going to risk getting hurt regardless yeah yeah <laughs> and love is a risk opening your heart is a risk um and depending on our past um being vulnerable is very scary ter territory because a lot of us when we were vulnerable in our past that's when we were hurt yeah. Which is why I say, once you do the work after betrayal trauma, you can still trust people. You could still love people, but there's no longer blind trust. It's now why it's now wise trust. So you can still trust somebody, but it's no longer blind. It's wise. And you were talking before about the red flags. Once you do the healing that's necessary and Lynn, this could be lifelong. This is, I mean, the trauma Trauma really affects every aspect of your being. So it could be a, a long time with, with some people. Yeah, uh, depending even on their resiliency, because everybody has a different resiliency, depending on their love language, their attachment style, uh, their support network, if they're journaling, you know, spiritually, you know, whatever. But the great thing about healing is that once you do heal past betrayal trauma, or at least you get a grasp on it, those red flags now become your deal breakers. Yeah, absolutely. So what would you advise somebody, you know, that um, has no boundaries at the moment? How do they start to implement what you would consider to be a boundary, um, you know, after living a life where you've allowed people to, to literally cross them all the time because that's just been your particular norm? Yeah. So I'll tell you something very easy and it sounds very elemental, but it's very effective is you need to write down first. You have to, you know, so many, you have to get to know yourself. So many people don't know themselves. So what are you writing down? What you're, what you think is ideal. 
you got to really do some deep reflection and introspection, get to know yourself, and then write a list down. What are my boundaries with time? What are my boundaries with spirituality? What are my boundaries politically? What are my boundaries with my body? What are my boundaries? You know, you have to really write a list and you got to first start holding yourself accountable to them. Because if we don't believe in our boundaries, we're not going to enforce them with other people. Especially, there's a lot of people out there that are very manipulative, narcissistic, They like a hawk on a on a a hawk in the air that can hone in on a mouse in the field miles away. There's people out there that that can sense weakness in people. So you got to strengthen yourself. Just make a list of the boundaries and start enforcing those with yourself. Excellent advice. Thank you so much, Mr. J. So where can our listeners get in touch with you? What's your best contact information, Jason? Actually, if I have a website, it's very easy to remember. It's mrjrelationship.com, relationshipcoach.com. Um, and I'll tell you what, I say this, even if nobody ever comes to my site because they want co- coaching or any work done on any capacity, I have a great YouTube channel where every single day I upload um, tips and techniques on how to heal from betrayal or life. I call them my daily doses of vitamin J. So again, even if you don't come on my website for anything other than to take advantage of my free resources, please do. And again, that's mrjrelationshipcoach.com. Thank you so much. And finally, any wise words to uh, leave the listeners with before we wrap up? Uh, well, there's a lot, but I'll tell you real quickly, Lynn, I'll tell you what, nobody in the in the history of mankind or womankind, humankind has ever died from a snake bite. I tell people this all the time. Um, nobody has ever died from a snake bite. What people die from is when the venom gets into our veins and reaches our heart and stops our heart. So here's the deal. We're human. We live on this planet. We're going to deal with people. People are going to hurt us. People are going to give us pain. People are going to bite us with their venom. It's up to us to prevent that venom from getting to our heart. Wow. (laughs) I love that analogy. Thank you so much. It's been a really great, interesting, fantastic conversation, Jason. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for your time. So on that note, it just leaves me to say, true love starts with opening our hearts. And until next time, goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to the Hearts Entwined podcast. You can follow Lynn via the Facebook group, Two Hearts Entwined, or search Lynn Smith, inspirational speaker at LinkedIn, or email lynn at hearts-entwined.com. That's L-Y-N at hearts-entwined.com. Remember, true love starts with opening our hearts.